0: Hello and welcome to the Village Church podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible. So, let's get into God's word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15. If you have a Bible with you this morning, if you don't have a Bible, there are some on the table in back if you want a copy of God's word, please take it. I just got an email this past week that this book company is selling them super cheap. So take them and we'll replenish and buy more to give more away. So if you need a Bible, please take one. If you know someone who needs a Bible, take one and give one to them. If we're out back there, please see me. We probably have more stuck in a box somewhere around here, but get a copy of God's word in front of you. If it's electronic, that's okay. Just get God's word The Holy Bible, 66 books in all, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, there's nothing else for you to read that calls itself the Word of God. 66 books, 39 old, 27 new, that's the Bible. Everything else, it's everything else. You're like, Pastor, did you have to say that? Yeah, I did. I kind of did have to say that. That is the Bible. That's what we read. 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, we are working our way toward the end of this letter. Please be in prayer. I don't know where we're going to go after this. Somewhere in the Bible. We're working our way to the end of this letter. Um, A letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, which is a city, major port, business city. I'm actually not sure it's a port city, but a major hub in ancient, it's now Greece, ish region of the world. Uh, This is a major city. So there's a lot of people there. It's not remote. It's not a tiny village. This is a major city. The church in Corinth... We'd have to dig into history outside of the Bible. That's why there are things you can read outside that might indicate historically more about the city of Corinth, but we know that it was a big city. We know that the Apostle Paul lived among them for a long period of time, and he is now writing a letter back to them to help encourage them. They are a messed up church full of messed up people, and all God's people said, amen, because that's us. There's no such thing as a perfect church. That is why when we come together, we look to God's word. To this point, slightly more than halfway through the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul has established the fact of the resurrection and has laid out its impact on the Corinthian church. Indeed, all of Christianity to this point, without the resurrection, from then until now, Christianity is absolutely a sham. And Paul has laid out his argument for it. We've seen him tackle various problems with the conduct of the Corinthian church Sin that they tolerated, doctrine that was incorrect, perhaps following of man's teaching as opposed to simply following the teachings of God and being united brothers. We've seen them struggle with the way they used the abilities and gifts that God had given them. It was causing division in the church as, as one gifted person looked as an, at another gifted person as inferior. We saw that in chapter 12 where almost that thought of someone saying, because you're not like me, I don't have use for you because I'm not that, I guess I don't matter. But the reality is that all people in the church of God matter. God is using each person for his glory in the church. To this point now, though, through chapter 15, he has been tackling the resurrection. And we've come to understand that through 14, there was a lot of disorder in the church. And as we get into 15, we start to see that perhaps all of the problems that they've been having is that their doctrine was off. Somebody's challenging the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can you say there is no resurrection of the dead. And so Paul has been working through laying the foundation for the resurrection that Christ in fact has risen, that any gospel that does not touch the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the true gospel. Paul would write to the Galatians: If if I or anyone preach some other gospel than what you heard, it is a lie. Move away from that, we need to be founded on the true, pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as laid out in his word. So he's established all of that, worked through the implications on the Christian life, on Christianity as a whole. If the resurrection has not happened, comes to identify that it has happened, calls out their bad doctrine. It's just, man, 15, I was listening to an old preacher and he was talking through uh, the resurrection was helpful to me. I was, I was trying to learn myself as I prepared to teach, and he said to his congregation in 1955, <clears throat> if we had come together and all we'd done was read First Corinthians chapter 15, we would have read one of the finest pieces of literature ever written on the face of planet earth. If we had read it, if we had soaked it up, if we had absorbed what was said in it, we would have read one of the most fantastic pieces of Scripture ever given to us, and we could have closed in prayer and left, and that would have been okay with me. Would have been okay with me, too. In fact, there are times that I think sometimes all we should do is just read God's Word and walk away from it. But the reality of why we don't simply read God's Word and walk away from it is that the vast majority of people in and out of the church, especially out of the church, but most concerningly in the church, we don't read the Word. And so when we open the Word on a Sunday, we have to spend time. Why do we do this? We have to spend time being instructed. I labor in doctrine so that I can come and labor in doctrine here because we don't open our words enough. And I pray that you are a Christian. If you are a believer in Christ here, I pray that the Word of God has a regular place in your daily life, that you are opening God's Word and that you are reading all of it. Paul has laid out the effect of the Christian life, the impact on the Christian life If the resurrection had not happened. It has happened He now moves on to refute a specific question that he knows will come up. I have this note, perhaps for an aspiring Bible preacher or teacher in the room, always praying that God is raising up pastors and preachers and teachers and elders and missionaries and all sorts of Christian workers for his glory, but perhaps you're just a student of the Bible and you engage in conversation. I made this note. Good Bible preachers and teachers will learn to anticipate the questions people will ask. People will ask based on historical, cultural, societal, and educational influences, they, good Bible preachers and teachers, must be able to refute those questions with sound doctrine. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, man, I'm glad to do that, Pastor. But I'm standing here thinking, I hope you're doing that, Christian. Because if you are a Christian, you are a Bible teacher. Let that fall on you. You have that weight. You are called to share, to preach, to teach, to communicate God's word. Specifically, if you are a Bible teacher, if you're a Bible preacher, I aspire to be better every day at opening God's word for the purpose of instruction. It is my charge from God among us as a church here. But we should be looking for what are the holes that people will approach with and start poking at sound doctrine. As a good Bible preacher or teacher, if you're aspiring to, you should write this down. I should learn to be looking for the impact of historical, societal, cultural, educational. I should be looking at how the world around me looks at Scripture and tries to take it apart. That I may take it and put it back together in front of them and then stand on it as truth. It's not up to definition. It's not up to us. No prophecy exists by will of man. Paul starts off, and let's just read through the passage together, lengthy passage broken up into two parts for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's read verse 35 through 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, I specifically, and on behalf of everyone here, in desperate need of your help. There are secret things in this passage, God, that you have not made clear to us. Help us, Father, to understand that which you have revealed. Help us, Father, to find the revealing of your truth sufficient for this life. Help us not to hang up on the what-ifs and the what-could-be's. Father, help us to hold tightly to the what is, the what we can know. I thank you that you have revealed, you have instructed, you have provided knowledge to us in this life of what will be in eternity. Father, I pray that you would speak to me as you speak through me. I pray, Father, that through the preaching of your word here today, God draws sinners to repentance, promote holiness among your people, and I pray, God, that Christ the Savior will be exalted among us in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled the sermon right from verse 39 What Kind of Body? Paul starts out here in verse 35 asking questions that <clears throat> if you have been around church or Christianity or Bible for any length of time, someone around you has asked a question about our bodies in the resurrection. If there's an eternity, if there's an eternal life, if we're going to persist on an eternity, what's that body going to look like? Am I coming back as a Pro Bowl, Hall of Fame? What's it going to be? Like, I know what I want my body to be right now, so what I want my body to be right now must be what God wants my body to be in eternity, right? Because God just wants me happy. Gosh, we should all vomit when that doctrine comes up. What will the body be? Like, what kind of body? I want you, it's important for us to understand, Paul has been making an argument through 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection, and we have dwelt on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its impact on Christianity. But he's getting to a further point. It's not only the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is being refuted here. The question being asked in verse 12 is, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? It's not just the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is in jeopardy. It's not just all of the implications on Christianity throughout all of time. It's an implication on life. You're saying there is no resurrection. How can you say that? And so now Paul is in this shift. He's addressed, it. He's addressed the Lord Jesus Christ. He's addressed their doctrine being off concerning the resurrection. And as that implies, if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. But Christ is raised. And so now he turns his attention to, if Christ is raised, then we also will be raised. And so there is a resurrection of the dead, and that has implications on this dwelling called a body that we are in now and will be in, in eternity. This confronts several things, the doctrine of the resurrection. One, I'm just going to be a spirit. No, no. You're not going to just be a spirit, but as we will see identified in scripture, you will be spiritual, but you're not just a spirit. So let's take it apart and let's go through this a little bit at a time and understand what we can understand about the resurrection of the body. What will our bodies be like in the resurrection? Paul anticipates the question, how are the dead raised? How are the dead raised? How are the dead raised? We understand the dead be raised by the power of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 tells us that the working of God's great might, he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. Resurrection from the dead is the work and power of God. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 14 tells us that through Jesus, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died will be resurrected to new life, and they will be brought with Jesus at the end of time into the eternal kingdom of God. Resurrection happens by God's power, that is, how the dead are raised. You notice the question in verse 35, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? That's not really the question, though. The question really is the second one that's asked. How are the dead raised? Physically. How are they coming back to life? With what kind of body do they come? Anybody in the room wake up this morning and think, I hurt in a way that I didn't hurt yesterday. Anyone? I'll put my hand up first. I'm with you. I'm with all you. How many of you battle with some form of... Uh, I guess I want to say maybe genetic uh, illness or some kind of infirmity, you battle something genetically, chronic pain, something, like how many of you battle chronic pain? You have back pain, an injury that never fully healed, or you have uh, something hereditary that you've earned through fallen man's life, now you're living with this, I'm just, uh, like, here's one for us, we're all living with COVID now. Right? That's, that's a reality. We have people not with us today. We're, we're battling with that now. We have infirmity, right? The resurrection of the dead looks forward to and anticipates a day when that doesn't happen anymore, when that is not our reality. Some of you in the room may be thinking, I don't move as well as I used to. Some of you have realized that when you fall, it takes longer to get up. Some of you hesitate to get on the floor because when your six foot seven frame is on the floor, engaging in whatever on the floor activity you may be doing, going to need a minute to get the. I'm locked up. My back doesn't want to right. We're dealing with infirmities. Our bodies are imperfect and they're ailing. Some may have concern about. I have trouble with my eyes. Trouble with my hearing. I, I, I don't. I don't feel things. I'm starting to notice that there's. There's, I don't feel things so well, right? Like there's problems with our bodies. In the resurrection, with what kind of body do they come? Tell me I'm going to be done with all this. With what kind of body do they come? Paul first, it's interesting, in responding to this question, with what kind of body do they come, Paul's first statement is, you foolish person. This is strong. It's interesting. I was reading several commentaries this past week, and everybody agrees. This is an extremely strong way, right, because as we consider, especially after eight months in the book of Ecclesiastes last year, is the word fool ever attached to anything good in the Bible? No, never. In fact, the fool is always attached to bad things. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So fool, foolish, he says, you foolish person. This is a strong word, and if we conjure up all that we think about attached to the word fool, we're like, oh, gosh. Everybody agrees. What Paul is actually saying is, you limited person in understanding. Are you so little of understanding that your question, this is really interesting to think about because people ask this question, some of you have asked this question. And the word of God comes to us and says, are you so little in your understanding to ask with what kind of body do they come? What kind of body do they come? Paul says, you foolish person, you lack understanding. And then he lays out his argument for how the body is resurrected. I made this quick note in sections of verses. Verse 37 through 38, lessons from horticulture. We live in Byron, right? I'm always using big words that end in ology, so I thought today I would use an ultra word. Horticulture, plants, crops, trees, you name it. Lessons from horticulture. Look at what he says What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. How many people are going to put a garden in this year? How many people are hoping, Lord willing, to put a garden in this year, right? Some people. How many of you enjoy plants in your home? Okay, flowers and whatnot. Sometimes we go to the store and we buy a plant and we put it in the ground. Sometimes we go to the store and we buy seeds and we put seeds in the ground. What is the reality of every living plant that exists on the face of planet Earth? Where did it come from? A seed. The dead part of a plant. Do you ever stop to think about that? I was thinking about this this past week. We plant dead things. Can't wait to eat some green beans. I'm going to put this dead one in the ground and hope it gives me a bunch of them. Do you ever think about it? I'm I'm going to do this. I'm going to plant seeds in the ground. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Where did the seed come from? A plant that grew and what? Died and left its seed to what? Be planted again. And over and over the cycle goes, starting in Genesis chapter 1. On the third day, Genesis 1 11 through 13, on the third day, God made all plant, fruit, vegetation, using specific words bearing seed of its own kind, specific. Every plant that God gave us. We have trees and we hate the little things that fall, the helicopters that fall from various trees every year. But what are those things? They're seeds of new trees. If you wanted to become a tree farmer, write that down, okay. If you wanted to become a tree farmer, you could like scoop up a bunch of helicopters and go plant them and start growing trees and you could have a tree farm. Happens every year. I have trees that grow out of gutters. I have maple trees that grow in my garden. I didn't plant them. How are they there? Because God designed a tree to have a little (laughs) fall down. It hits the ground. It dies. It's absorbed by the planet Earth that God created. And what happens? New life. God created it to be so. Each seed has its own body. Plant, we're going to get to in a second. Animal, bird, fish, people. But plant differs from plant. Look what he says, verse 37. What you sow is not the body that is to be. Now, you may go to the store and you may buy a plant, but the reality is somebody had a seed to begin with. So we are blessed to put plants in the ground. Some of us put seeds in the ground, but if you're putting a seed in the ground, you're not, hey, look at this, I'm gonna go plant this tomato plant, little seed. You're planting a seed that you hope will grow because there's no guarantee. If you've been doing it for any length of time, there's no guarantee that that seed will grow. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. We put the seed in the ground, and sometimes we lose track of what we planted where, and we wait for what? The green thing to through the ground. And even then, when the sprout first comes out, if you're really forgetful like me, you go, huh, something came out of the ground. Let's give it a month and we'll try and figure out what it is. Was that supposed to be tomatoes? What, what was this? The only one I know for sure every time it comes out is beets. They're red. And potatoes, I got those down too. But the rest of it, sometimes they come out and they all look the same. What's got to happen? It's got to grow and mature into a plant so I can see what it's going to be because I didn't put the plant in the ground. I put a seed in the ground. I know I'm twisting some trails. I want you to follow it and pay attention. Verse 39, he moves on. Not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Just as seeds planted for fruit-bearing plants or trees differ, Even seed to seed, you can look at a seed and be like, it doesn't look like the other seed. I got two of the same seeds right here, but they're not the same seed and the plants are going to grow. And one might grow and just be awesome and the other one might really struggle to grow. There's no guarantee they're going to grow in the same way. They have different seeds into the ground and different plants come up out of the ground. So it is with us. Not all flesh is the same. Take a look around you. Fun experiment. Take a look around the room. Look at all the... Look at all the flesh in the room. None of it the same. None of it's the same. Some of you think you're fine specimens of flesh. And some of you think, put yourself away, man. Right? None of us are the same. Every piece of flesh differs in flesh. We go fishing and we catch little fish. We're like, oh, it looks like the fish we just caught. And in our family, it's very famous to say, I just caught this one. Like, we don't know if we just caught that one or not. But we certainly caught one that looks just like it. But it's not the same, is it? Unless you get the one with the ripped lip that you're like, oh, I did just catch this one. There's a difference in flesh. Not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. We understand that there is a distinction between humanity and livestock and beast of the field and bird of the air and fish of the sea, and creepy little creeping things that creep along the ground. They are all a form of flesh, and they are all different. God created on day five and six. Livestock, beasts, creeping things, with very specific words, Genesis 1:20 through31. According to their kind. God created life able to reproduce more life. Every animal, every plant, every human created with ability. Let's separate the, why does that mean that some people can't then? Because that's a reality and I want to be careful of that. We're not talking about Can you, talking about how created, created with ability, and the Bible acknowledges that it is God who gives life, so if the ability can't function properly, that's up to God. That's something that's real to be wrestled down with. I'm very sensitive and careful to mention something like that. Created with ability. Day five and day six, he makes everything. What's interesting is that he also makes man. Do you remember the creation account? says that God brought every living animal to Adam to see what he would call them, and whatever he called them, that's what they were called. So we call things, whatever, we call it a horse now, we call it a cow now, we call it a oh, now a brown cow. I couldn't help myself. It went through my head that quick as I said it. We call them fish, we call them birds, we have names and species and all of that. We don't know what God brought to Adam, but whatever God brought to Adam, Adam named it that, and that's what it was called. And then... There was no helper found for Adam. I want us to understand the depth of that statement, right? Not just the, I need someone to cook and clean for me helper. Do you understand biblically? We're talking about Adam could not reproduce human flesh because there was no helper for him. Adam could not with the seed of man produce man with any other animal on the planet. God says I will make for him a helper suitable. What does that mean? What does Adam say? When God brings woman Eve to him, what does this is finally at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh? She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And God brings man and woman together to what? Adam, Eve, go, be fruitful and multiply upon the earth and subdue it. I have made you Lord over creation. This is, this is specific for us. We need to understand this, especially in a society and a culture, perhaps throughout all of time, that is grotesque in its thoughts of human and animal interaction. Enough said. God made all of the livestock, beasts, creeping things according to their kinds, and he makes man bearing seed of his own kind, able to produce his own kind, reproduce we should say, but there is no flesh that is the same. Differences. Look, he goes on, so lessons in horticulture, now he's going to move to astronomy. Lessons in things outside of the earth. Everything so far is on the earth. Now look what he says, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. Where did your minds go right away? You went to humans and angels. If you're deducing and paying attention to scripture, you went to humans and angels. And they differ, right? We understand very quickly that angelic beings differ from human beings. We understand both angels and humans are created, but we understand them to be different. And even as we study angels throughout the scripture, we see differences in angels. There's like the multi-winged, multi-eye, multi-mouthed thing in Revelation, and there's the cherubim, and the seraphim, and there's Gabriel, and there's Michael, and there's the dudes at Sodom and Gomorrah who reach out and strike with blindness, and there's like angels all over the place, but they don't all look the same to us. We have pictures of them. The word pictures for us, they don't look the same. And we certainly understand that while angels can appear as man because we have record of man seeing angels and thinking they are men, they're not men. They're different. Angelic beings, earthly beings. How about this? There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. There's the eternal Son of God and His body, unlike... The rest of our bodies, yet fully like the rest of our bodies, eternally existent, incarnate in the flesh. When he comes in the flesh, he is born as a human being found, Philippians says, the apostle Paul being found in appearance as a human in a body unlike ours, in a body just like ours, a difference in human bodies and a difference in heavenly bodies heavenly beings, the body of the Lord. Perhaps let's think about glorified saints. There are saints that have passed on before us. We have scriptural accounts of people seeing people. Don't ask me how. I wasn't there. I don't know. But those disciples on the mountain with Jesus, when whatever the transfiguration was that happens, look up and they're like, (gasps) it's Elijah and Moses. Like, who was, like, scrolling Facebook to see what Elijah and Moses looked like in that moment? But they looked up, and they were convinced it's Moses and Elijah. Peter's such a loud guy. He's like, it's good for us to be here, Lord. We'll make you tense. And God's like, this is my son. Listen to him. I don't want you speaking. I want you listening. They saw them, but were they seeing them in the flesh, or were they seeing them in a glorified condition? Well, it's not even an argument to make. They were seeing them in a glorified condition. They were dead, they were gone, and then they saw them. So we have earthly bodies, us, flesh on the earth, and we have heavenly bodies. This word glory, I want to deal with it for just a second. You saw it there. Heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly kind, of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthlies is of another. Look, it goes into 41 as well. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. The Greek word here, the word doxa, D-O-X-A in the English, doxa, meaning splendor or brightness. Does that help provide context for this word glory? When we read that, there's a difference in glory of human and of heavenly and earthly bodies, there's a difference in glory from sun and moon and star and star differs from star. Like this astronomical observation is easy for us. There's the sun and when it shines and when it's full and when there's not a cloud in the sky, it's hot even on a 15 degree day. Even when it is the middle of winter in Michigan and there is snow on the ground and it's not going to be warmer than 10 degrees, when there's no wind, when there's no cloud, when the sun is full and you step outside, you can go, and the, and the sun warms our face. you ever tried to do that on a full moon night? You ever step outside in the middle of the night in the face of a full moon with no wind, with no clouds, just stand out there and be like, No, you haven't. You know what you've done? This, even in the middle of the summer. In the middle of the winter, we don't even think about it. I don't even like standing at my living room window looking out at a full moon in the middle of the winter. Wow, it looks just really cold out there. The sun and the moon are different in their glory. They have a different splendor. They have a different brightness. We know this about stars. Science has been telling us this about stars for for generations, that you can see one. It's brighter than another. Why is that star bigger? Why is that star smaller? Why is that one brighter? Why is sometimes the smaller one brighter than the bigger one? I don't understand this. It's because as God created things, he gave them all a unique clothing. One glory for one, one glory of another. And then he goes into heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, in the heavens and in heaven, all clothed differently. This is all driving us to a point. Everybody exhausted yet with this first passage of Scripture? I was. As I labored through I'm like, oh, good grief, can we get to the next verse, Lord? I got exhausted. You know why? Because when God wants us to pay attention to something, he says it over and over and drives that point home to us. And that's what's happened here, 35 to 41. And look what he says. Look at the start of verse 42. Look at your Bibles. I love it. I love people with their Bibles, flipping pages, taking notes. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. Well, what kind of body am I going to come with? One that God has prepared. One that God has designed. Just as we plant and something is produced according to God's design, in one thing to the next thing across multiple species, from plant all the way up to human life form, all differs. God has designed it to be that way. And in the resurrection, we will have a body... That corresponds with what God has designed. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So then Paul makes his argument, two points. He talks about what is sown and how it's raised, and then he compares that with Adam and Christ. So verses 42 through 44. Look what he says. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, okay listen, if you're, a, if you're an extreme note taker and you like to write in your Bible, circle the words I'm about to tell you. What is sown is perishable. That's a circle. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in, circle it, dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, circle it. It is raised in power. It is sown in, circle it, A natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body, okay? Let's go through it again. Now what you're going to do when I tell you, if you're an extreme note taker, you're going to put a box around the next words, okay? So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is, put a box around it, imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Box it in. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in, put a box around it, power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised, again, a box, spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Okay? That breakdown so that you can see it. What is sown and how is it raised? In this life, our bodies, look what they are, sown in, circled words, perishable, Sown in dishonor, sown in weakness, sown naturally. That's right now, that's right here. Look at those words perishable, dishonorable, weak, natural. You know what those are? Those are all words for weakened by sin, in need of a savior. Look at those words perishable, dishonor, weak, natural, no ability. No natural ability, perishable, going to fade, going to to rot. I love it. If you have the King James in front of you, it probably has the word corruption. Corruption and incorruption. Those are good, strong words. What is sown? What is sown in this life for us, descendants of Adam, our natural man, descendants of Adam, what is sown is perishable, it is sown in dishonor, right? Because of sin, right? We are all sinners, Why are we all sinners? Because we all come from Adam. It is sown perishable from Adam. It is sown in dishonor because Adam sinned. And here we are, descendants of that dishonor, sown, perishable, in dishonor, weakened by the flesh in our sin, natural, sown naturally. We came from Adam in a natural process, perishable, dishonorable, and weak. What is raised? I Listen, if you're a Christian that has a look toward the resurrection and the second coming and eternity, which you all should be, these next words are important. What is raised? We've looked at what is sown. What is raised is the word you boxed in. Imperishable. Not able to fade, rot, or die. Imperishable. How is it raised? It is raised in glory. It is raised in power. It is raised spiritually. With what kind of body? It will be spiritual for certain. It will not be a natural body. It will be a spiritual body for certain. We're going to expound a little more. Then he gives us lessons from Christ as if he hasn't worked through this enough. Then he ties it to our human federal head Adam, legally responsible before God for the race of mankind and we are full of sin and guilt before him. He ties it to Adam and then he ties it to Christ, our second or new Adam, the one who is now responsible in all full legal terms for all of his people before a holy God, second Adam, Jesus Christ, a new federal head responsible for us before God. Look what he says. Thus it is written, the first man, man, Adam, became a living being, right? Right in the Genesis account, what does it say? In the Genesis account of creation, it says, and God breathed and God reached down from the dust of the earth and formed the man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became what? A living being. Look what it says. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life being. Giving spirit. Okay? I don't want us to derail on this because Christ is not a spirit. But he became a life-giving spirit. Let's just think about it and move on. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual, right? What's that telling us? We're not born naturally spiritual. We're born naturally sinful. And Christ, who came naturally, came spiritually perfect. We are corrupted in our flesh. We are born naturally. We are corrupted. Christ comes, and through the power of the life-giving spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is natural, sinful, perishable, dishonorable, weak, becomes imperishable raised in glory, spiritual, raised in power. But it is not the spiritual that is first, it is the natural. No human being born of man, right? This is why the virgin birth, we touched on it briefly in Sunday school this morning, this is why the virgin birth is so specific and important. Jesus Christ was born to a virgin who had never known a man. He was not born of man. He was conceived how? By the power of the Holy Spirit that overshadowed the Virgin Mary. You shall be found with child and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from his sins and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. We want to stay away from anything that teaches us that Mary was sinless and perfect and that's why she gave birth to Christ. We have biblical evidence of Mary offering guilt offerings, recognizing her sin and knowing in the Magnificat late in, in Luke chapter 1, Looked on the humble estate of a sinner, me, her confession of faith, her profession and sin is there, looking forward to a Savior. It is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. We are living a natural life. If you're like, I'm living my best life right now. No, you're living a natural life right now, and I hope you have hope of a spiritual life to come. The first man, Adam, verse 47, from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That's you and I. You could circle it or underline it and just write, this is me, of the dust, right? What does Job say? From the dust I came and to the dust I shall return. I think it's, not, I think it's in the Genesis account as well. It's said at practically every funeral that ever happens, from the dust and to the dust, we are dust. People often worry might talk about it a little bit in a second. People often worry about, well, can we cremate? Can we do this? Listen, if you don't get cremated, your body's going to see corruption in the grave. No, no, no. We have caskets. That doesn't happen anymore. Sure, it doesn't. It's corruptible. It's going to decay. It's going to be raised to be something new. The first man was from the dust, the earth, a man of dust. The second Adam is from heaven. Verse 48, As the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. What is the man of dust? Natural, imperishable, weak. What is the man of heaven? Spiritual, glory, power, imperishable. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Furthermore, as an Adam, the Bible tells us, All die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. This distinction between literally, not just our spiritual being, but the clear distinction in our physicality as natural man fallen before God and as spiritual man raised to new life before God. Of note, I have this as a point later, of note, I'm not going to share a single word with you about what's going to happen to the resurrection body of those who die in their sin. Because the Bible doesn't share anything about it. You know what the Bible says about those who will be raised to everlasting contempt and shame? They'll spend eternity in the lake of fire and the agony of hell. The Bible only speaks to the resurrection body of God's people. We have a hope that sinners do not have. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have hope of the resurrection. But pastor, this is great. This is just Thank you so much for working your way through this text. We really appreciate it. But you have not answered the question, what will our bodies be like? Pastor, I have the question that's asked here. With what kind of body? I pray that perhaps it is a lack of understanding that asks that question. I pray that through the faithful teaching of God's word, you have an answer to it and you grow in your understanding. What will the resurrected body be like? First, I mentioned it earlier. Deuteronomy 29, 29 applies here. There are secret things. We can't go to the full extent. There are things not revealed. But there are things revealed. Listen, the problem is that we hang up on the things not revealed while neglecting the things that are revealed. So we're going to talk about the things that are revealed. The Bible actually says, what do I have here? One, two, three, four, five, six. I have six points about what the Bible reveals about the resurrection of our bodies. The Bible's not silent. Just doesn't go to the full extent that we would like it to what will our bodies be like first and foremost we'll be like christ what else do you want to know think about that crucified on a cross nailed in the hand nailed in the feet spear in the side crown of thorns whipped all over his body in the resurrection perfect hey hey feel go ahead put your hand it's me I'm hungry. Can I eat something? We will be like Christ. Our resurrected bodies will be like Christ's resurrected body. Does that mean we're going to look like him? No, that's not what it means. It means our bodies will be like his body. First John chapter 3 verse 2 John says, and he actually says in chapter 1, things that we have touched. I loved it. When I saw it, I'm like, man, the connection here of we shall be like him in 1 John 3 2, back to 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 or 2 where he says him who we have touched what did the apostle john see he saw the pre crucified body of the eternal son of god jesus christ and he saw the resurrected glorified body of the lord jesus christ and he said him whom we have touched we will be like christ this leads us to understand that in the resurrection we will be physical We're not just going to be ethereal, mystical, spiritual beings that float around. You're like, am I going to get that power like Jesus where like he shows up and then he just disappears? Probably not, but I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us that. But we will be physical. However, we learn from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he says, Luke chapter 24, verse 39, Behold, I am flesh and bone. Flesh and bone. This is interesting because if you look at a verse that we're going to start next week with, chapter 15, verse 50 of 1 Corinthians, look what it says. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So flesh and bone, but not flesh and blood. And now you're all thinking, what's the difference? Your blood's bad. You have bad blood. There's bad blood between us and God. Your body's going to die and be corruptible. It's going to be raised physically to be in the presence of God, flesh, and bone. But your blood is bad. And it's not going to be before God. You will be spiritual, not natural. The natural body is sustained by blood and oxygen. The spiritual body is sustained by what? The same thing that everything else is sustained by eternity. The presence of God who sustains what? All things. By what? The word of what? His power. You will be sustained in your physical body before God for eternity by God. Our blood is ruined. This is why we need a Savior. God is holy. We are sinful. We need a Savior. What else will we be? Am I going to know? One of the, Man, is this is the most popular question. Am I going to know you all when we get to heaven? Yeah, I think we can say that almost with certainty, almost with absolute certainty. Why? Well, because we are remembering first off that in the resurrection, we will be like Christ. We will be physical as Christ was physical. We will be recognized then. Why? Because they surely recognized Jesus, not just once, not just twice, not just a couple people. More than 500 people over a period of 40 days recognized Jesus Christ as having been dead and having come back to life would be recognized. It's like this. Here's the best explanation that I heard this past week. I was looking, I'm like, Lord, I need some help here. I was listening to this sermon. The guy made this this drawn distinction and it helped me, maybe it'll help you. Uh, I currently have in the room a son that is not yet six months old. And he's in the form of a not-yet-six-month-old male body because God creates us male and female. He created this one male. He's in this body back there that is not yet six months old. And if the Lord tarries and I get to spend a long time on the earth, I'm going to watch him tick off the years. One, two, three. My oldest son back there is ten. I remember when my oldest son was not yet six months old. My oldest son is in the same body that he was at six months old. Do you understand? His body is growing and changing. This is important for us. Why? Faith in Jesus Christ, what happens? The Holy Spirit moves in and sanctifies us and what conforms us to what? The image of his beloved son. We are growing and we are changing spiritually in this life. And in heaven, we will attain to a perfected body, physical body, recognized, same body that has taken on a new form, perfect for eternity. Every one of you started life as an infant. You are here today in the exact same body that you were born with. Maybe it's weakened by the flesh. Maybe it's ailing a little bit. Maybe there were too many injuries playing football in high school. I don't know, but you're in the same body. And people who knew you then still know you as the same person. Do you understand? They recognize Jesus. They'll recognize us. We have hope that we will know and we will be known. We will be glorified. We will not be putting up with the infirmity of this world anymore. Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 says that Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And everybody said amen. We will be Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, the words of Christ, we will be like angels. Hold on a second, because one time when I was working with teenagers as a young person, I brought a teenage girl to tears when I told her she wasn't going to be an angel in heaven. Because you ain't. And if you are in the room teaching your kids that they're going to be angels in heaven, sorry to break the news for you. You'd be like them, but not them. We're not angels, we're people. We'll be like them in the sense that angels, Jesus says, are not given, nor do they marry in heaven. All the needs for reproducing in this life are going to end. All the intimacy that is shared between husband and wife in this life, that's all going to end. Same body, physically, physical flesh and bone recognized like Christ, but everything that we know in this world is going to end. So, every physical demand, every physical pleasure, every physical thing that we know is going to come to an end. And Christ says, You will be like angels. You remember, this is very interesting in the passage of Matthew chapter 22. He is talking to lawyers who are trying to trip him up, as if you could trip up the author of all things. So, they said to him, So, there was a guy who got married and he died. And his brother got his wife and he died. And the an next brother married the wife and he died. And actually there were seven brothers that came along and married this wife and they all died and no one had any sons. And so when we're resurrected, whose wife is she going to be? And what does Jesus say to them? Matthew chapter 22, for those on the reading plan in the year, we read it yesterday. Jesus says, you don't know the scriptures. Uh Uh-oh. You know why we don't understand the resurrection? Because we don't pay attention to the scriptures. He says, you don't know the scriptures. For in the resurrection they will be like the angels who do not marry, nor are they given in marriage. So that ends. That's going to end in this life. Enjoy the wife, the husband, the spouse of your life now because we are not married or given in marriage when we get to eternity. We are fulfilled wholly in the presence of God like the angels in that we do not marry. We're not going to pass from this life and continue living a perfected form of this there. That's what most people want eternity to be. Most of us, let's be brutal in the room. We want eternity to be this to the best possible degree. Listen that and the best possible degree here don't touch each other. That is ultimate perfection before God with God forever and this is not. So whatever we have here that you love we learned from Solomon and Ecclesiastes enjoy it now. Don't enjoy it too much. It's all going to end. we would be like the angels. And the last point here, imperishable, immortal. Rid of the corruption and mortality, the mortality of this life for eternity. Look at 1 Corinthians 50. We're going to cover it more next week. Verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Why? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's going to change for us. I was giving thanks this past week for this verse. My mother is a type 1 diabetic who relies on insulin in her body. We have people in the church that can identify that. My dad has Parkinson's disease. Those two things are incurable. And so I understand the reality of what that means and the implications of what it means for health in my own family. The other day I was studying about the resurrection and I sent my mom a text and I said, I'm just praising God right now. I sent a friend of mine, I'm praising God right now because we have the hope through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that all of the mortality of this life is consumed in the resurrection. The, the diabetes and the need for insulin, gone forevermore. The Parkinson's and ailing ambulatory and motor skills, all of that, gone forevermore. The chronic pain, the hereditary pain, the pain of we live in a body that is ruined by sin. Gone. The imperishable. The perishable will put on imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. This helps us in our life. The world is terrified of death. They're handing stuff out for free right now, like has never happened, because nobody wants to die. And you, Christian, and I need to be in the front of the line saying. Just can't wait to get to glory when the mortal puts on immortality, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when all of my hope, when all of my faith, when all of my trust placed forever on the eternal Son of God is going to bring me into eternity forever perfected. That is a reason for us to understand the resurrection body when we come out of the grave and into eternity. We've examined as we wrap up today, wow, long sermon, you're welcome. We have examined what kind of body we will have, but this is important and it can't be left alone. Who gets to look forward to it? Because not everyone. Only those with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have a resurrected body to look forward to. Oh, the unsaved without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have a resurrected body, but it's not one to look forward to. It is going to be destroyed eternally. Perpetual pain and punishment in the fire and agony of hell. Who gets to look at it? The prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 says that at the consummation of the ages, the end of time, quote Daniel 12 2, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There's no hope. For those upon whom the wrath of God falls, there is only hope for those with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this life, we bear the image of the man of dust. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, through faith in Christ, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I end today and we'll look at further next week with, are you looking forward to bearing the image of the man of heaven? Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? That when this life is over, he, the perfect God, creator of your body, sustainer of your eternal soul, is going to accomplish for you what he has said he will accomplish, is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And are you hastening, quickening, longing for, reaching and pulling toward us the return of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the resurrection that we will experience? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance of sin. God saved me, a sinner belief in the heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and profession of him as Lord. The Bible says you will be saved. Do you have that faith? Are you looking forward with faith to that? This challenges how much we love this life. This causes us to look around and say, how much do I love it? Am I longing more than I'm loving? Am I loving that? Or am I longing to keep this? you got to wrestle that down. I hope you're wrestling it down. Longing for the day of the Lord, would you pray? Heavenly Father, thank you God for your word. Thank you, Father, for the hope of the resurrection. I pray, God, that we will be people who increase our understanding through your word of the resurrection. I pray, God, that we will be people who look to your word to understand what you have accomplished through the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that we will be a people of faith in the Lord Jesus, longing for the day of the resurrection. Father, we look forward to next week, if it's your will, bring us back together safely that we may consider how will this all come about? How will this happen? And what do we do in the meantime? Father, we know that you are bringing time to an end. We know that there is a date. There is an hour. There is a minute. There is a second fixed when you, blessed Father, will send our King, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, We long for the day, Lord Jesus, that you will return and gather your own unto yourself, that we may be forever with you. Father, help us to long for this and help us to live in light of it, preaching and sharing and teaching the good news of Jesus Christ. God, we love you and thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at the Until next time, stay in God's Word.